Welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, the nature-based show hosted by me, Jack Perks. Each week I'm joined by a guest from the world of wildlife television, art and science. We take a light-hearted look into what makes these people tick and connect with the natural world so strongly, with new episodes out every Tuesday. This week I chat to Matt Briley, who is a naturalist, writer and filmmaker who's worked on a range of subjects, but recently turned to sharks and campaigning to stop the overfishing of sharks, something that happens closer to British shores than you might think. Here's our chat. Well, it's great to have you on, Matt. Thank you very much, Jack. No, no worries. So where did your journey begin for campaigning against shark finning and and overfishing in general then? My journey began when I went to a meeting that was hosted by Fin Fighters. Um, They're this fantastic grassroots organisation that was founded by um, a girl called Lou Ruddle. She's an incredible individual. So I went along to this, this meeting, just curious really. I live in Bristol, they were hosting a Bristol meeting. I knew nothing about them. I knew very little about shark conservation or ocean conservation. So I went there and I was incredibly inspired by Lou's vision because it just felt a little bit different to um, standard conservation NGOs and the way that they engage with people. What Lou basically said was that everyone's got a skill, everyone's got a talent. You're not necessarily a wildlife filmmaker, but perhaps you are an artist or a comedian or perhaps you work in a bookshop. But she was of the opinion that all of these people could bring something to the table in terms of shark conservation. And, and I just thought that was an incredibly refreshing way of looking at things. Um, so I liked that. I liked her. I liked her partner, Phil Root, very much. And I went up and introduced myself at the end of the meeting. And Lou said to me, well, if you're a wildlife filmmaker, we've got some footage that might interest you. And she showed me this video of a suspect great white shark for sale in a fish market in Tangier in Morocco. And it just blew me away, um, mainly because I thought it was illegal. Like you see something like that and you automatically, you presuppose um, in the Mediterranean, great white sharks are listed as critically endangered. They're listed as vulnerable to extinction globally. So I automatically presupposed, oh, I'm seeing a video of illegal activity. And then when you look into it, it's actually legal. And this was the bit that completely blew me away. Um, I'm from a conservation background to begin with. And I was so surprised to learn that the IUCN Red List doesn't afford species any protection. I sort of naively thought that that was the case. I, I presupposed if an animal was listed as endangered, critically endangered, vulnerable on the IUCN red list, it, it was somehow de facto protected. So when I found out it wasn't, it felt like a bit of a rallying call, uh, a call to arms. And I thought, well, whenever people think about sharks, they think about jaws, they think about great white sharks. And it felt like I had this hook because uh, in terms of storytelling, because they had this incredible footage of this suspect great white shark in this fish market. And I had the beginnings of this story that sharks 
aren't as protected, indeed all animals globally, aren't as protected as one might automatically presuppose. So that, that was how I sort of first got suckered in at the start. I came at it from a sort of filmic storytelling point of view. I really thought, yeah, there's, there's a story in this. Yeah, and we'll men- we will talk about your film in a bit, which is Sharks in Deep Water. But uh, how has anti-shark finning legislation then almost backfired? And it's it sparked a bit of a, a global market for, for shark meat then, hasn't it? Because you'd think, oh, well, we don't do any finning, so that's good. But in actual fact, yeah. it's kind of caused another problem, hasn't it? Absolutely. And that's that's a big part of sharks in deep water. When people think about shark conservation at the moment, they are very much locked in this headspace that this is a problem that happens on the other side of the world. They, they immediately say to me, oh, sharks, shark fin, China. And that's, that's where the trail of thought goes. Now, there was a very impactful film called Shark Water. I'd really were, uh, recommend anyone to watch that film. And Sharkwater sort of got its teeth into tackling this global finning industry. And at the time, that was very much the narrative. The narrative was that this horrific practice of chopping the fins off at sea and throwing the sharks overboard to die and the fins being exported to Asia for soup. So in 2003, there was one round of legislation And then that was strengthened in 2013. There was another round of anti-finning legislation. So um, something was introduced called fins naturally attached. So what that means is that you can still catch your sharks, but they have to bring the sharks into port with their fins naturally attached. Now, the theory for that is that they're catching less sharks Um, because the holds aren't going to fill up as quick. There was some sort of positive intent behind that. And also, no longer was that abhorrent practice of shark finning going to happen. Unfortunately, like you, you touched on there, what actually happened was that for the first time, shark carcasses began to enter global markets. This just hadn't been a thing previously, really. There's been this huge increase, absolutely enormous increase in the trade in shark meat because it comes into port and people start to eat the meat. And it's quite tempting then to think, well, at least the meat's being eaten. At least there's, it feels a little bit more sustainable. But unfortunately, when you create a, a market for something, when you, when you give yourself, when you give something a value, um, then... So fishermen now are going out specifically to catch the meat because that's worth something. And then the fins are still being chopped off. They're just being chopped off on land and they're gradually making their way to Asia for the shark fin soup. So, so it's a different story. It gets very concerning when you find yourself in the situation that I found myself in, which is watching mercury tests, lead, cadmium, heavy metal tests, um, done on these sharks that have been a random sample of shark caught in the northeast Atlantic and it comes into port and we've done heavy metal tests on them and what we found is that they're toxic to human health and not only that they're toxic to human health with a substance that will bioaccumulate in the body of the shark 
um, and eventually it will bioaccumulate in the body of a human if a human is eating enough um, shark containing these heavy metals. And unfortunately, in places that I've been, like Morocco, shark has become a staple um, meat for, well, it's a fish, but it's become a, st a staple part of people's diet. So, so they're getting a really big dose of toxic substances. So, so that in itself is a huge concern. I know uh, that rock salmon, which you might find in chippies now, it used to be primarily dogfish, doesn't it? But I think, I can't remember if it was on your film or I read somewhere that rock salmon is just a blanket term now for all kinds of different shark species um, that you can get in, in chippies in, in the UK. Yeah, um, so that's, that's another part of the film. Um, this time when the film starts in, in Morocco and we look at the problem in Morocco and it's very easy to get quite visceral images because it's all laid out in front of you. They don't have sort of the, the sterile um, markets that, that we have. So very easy to get these hard hitting images. But after I'd filmed in Morocco and spent time with these shark conservationists, I just became aware that actually this problem is endemic to the UK and endemic to Europe. And I, I couldn't just finish the film as I originally intended in Morocco because it felt unfair to the Moroccan fishermen. Because like you just mentioned, yeah, we've got um, shark for sale in chip shops. Um, I was down in Cornwall on Tuesday this week. And sure enough, there it is. It's on the menu. And in Cornwall, it was being sold as rock. As it turns out, selling it as rock in itself is illegal. Um, I'm sure the chip shop owners are, are oblivious to that. To sell that, they have to call it rock salmon. But you can sell any one of 47 different species of shark can be sold in the UK under any one of six different names. And all of these names are confusing. So it's things like rock salmon, uh, rock eel, huss, flake, rig, and um, dogfish. And none of those terms actually contain the word shark. And certainly when you start selling something as a salmon or an eel, the general public just have absolutely no idea that that is a species of shark. And it's tempting in these situations because I did this undercover investigation for my film, but the Daily Mirror funded me to do it and they got a front page headline out of this. But you go into these investigations and you think it's kind of them against us. And then you start chatting to the bloke that runs the chippy and he doesn't even know that he's selling shark and is really confused. This was in East Anglia where it's sold as rock eel because when they buy it from the wholesaler, they get the back of the shark and it's got the backbone running down the back of it. And that's all they see. And they just presuppose that it's some sort of eel. So it goes to show that the, the traders and, and the customers can be completely complicit in the sale of a shark and based on our DNA analysis, it's probably spiny dogfish, which is an endangered shark, which is illegal to catch in Europe. 
and people are completely oblivious because they're blindsided by these confusing names. So one thing that I'd really like to see changed, I'd really like DEFRA to get involved in this and to have a think and to change that little piece of legislation, the commercial designation of fish that obligates people to sell these 47 species of shark under these six confusing names. Um, I think they could do that very easily. And I think in doing that, we'd be a step further down that journey of making people aware that, yeah, they're actually buying uh, a shark that may well be endangered. Um, and not only endangered, but slow to reach sexual maturity. You know, these animals, they're not reaching sexual maturity until they're teenagers. So very difficult to make a case for fishing these animals sustainably. Um, when I was buying these sharks from the fish and chip shops to get this DNA work done, um, I just turned 40 at that point, And I really depressingly read online that these sharks can live to be 40 years of age. So you sort of think, you know, an animal that came into the world within the same year I was born is now suddenly here in my hotel room in Clacton-on-Sea and I'm cutting it up to get a little DNA sample. And there have been several moments um, on my journey where you find yourself in these really odd situations that, that are quite depressing, really, because your eyes are open to this destruction of the natural world. Yeah, it's um, it's a lot to take in, and, and we don't think of like you say. We tend to associate this thing happening in far flung places, and not in the UK. But uh, as your film details, the the EU and the UK export a hell of a lot of shark meat, don't we? Oh, absolutely. You tend to think that we're um, not that there's good guys and bad guys, but you tend to think of the UK being fairly modernised with conservation, but in many ways we're not, which is a real uh, a real shame. And I just wanted to know, what, what's the significance of shark fins then? Because I'm aware that shark fin soup is, is coveted, but what's the significance? Because I, I remember reading somewhere that they don't really have any taste. And I think in some cases they even add chicken flavouring to, um, mm. like, so what, what is, is it a status thing or why are people eating the fins? Yeah, from, from what I know about it, Jack, um, it's, it's very much a status thing. It's very much a prestige thing. It's, it's almost one of those things where if you're rich enough to buy it and you can entertain your immediate circle by buying this very expensive dish, it's, you know, it's a way to close business deals, that, that kind of thing, or you have it at your wedding. It's kind of the equivalent of caviar or, or, or something here that you want to show off a bit, you want to throw a bit of money around. So you have your shark fin soup. Um, so it's not really a staple um, food. No. It, is more, it is more of a show dish. When we've looked at restaurants in London and you see the, the price of it on the menu and ballpark 250 quid for a bowl of shark fin soup. So it's so not it's illegal. Not... You, you can get shark fin soup in the UK then? Yeah. Um, really? I did not know that. Mm, so I've been very involved with fin fighters in their ambition to transition the UK to be shark fin free by 2023. And because um, I, I live in Bristol, the logical place to start was let's start in our home city of Bristol. 
So we got um, 5,000 signatures on a petition. That enabled us to go to the local council and we were hoping the local council would pass a bylaw um, which would then make it illegal to sell shark fin in Bristol. Now, as it transpires, uh, we got passed up a tier. We went to the mayor of Bristol, Marvin Reese. We went to Marvin's office in the end. This isn't in the film. This is the sort of what, what happened next. Um, and he wasn't terrifically interested in, in it. Um, which was a great disappointment to myself and to Finn Fighters and a sad indictment of um, really because Bristol had just been green capital, European green capital at that point and here we, we had a chance to really um, do something new, do something exciting and influence other UK cities by making it illegal to trade shark in Bristol. Um, and it didn't happen, which is, uh, you know, you win some, you lose some, you keep fighting. Um, but in this process, we did identify nine different establishments in the city of Bristol that were selling shark fin. And that's Bristol. Um, so when you start thinking about um, Manchester, you start thinking about London, then, then you really start to understand that there is a prolific trade in shark fin in the UK and there's just been a very successful petition that crossed the threshold of a hundred thousand signatures so this will go to government which is particularly about the import of shark fin in hand luggage because at the moment you can bring in 25 kilograms of shark fin um, as long as it's not one of the CITES um, appendix one species but no one knows because they're not going to stop you and do DNA tests at the airport anyway. But at the moment, you can bring that in legally. So this petition just said, well, that needs to stop. That's going to be a big step on the journey of getting shark fin outlawed in the UK. Um, so fingers crossed for that one. Let's hope that that is something that the government um, properly debates and enacts and at least we can stop that little drip 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 of shark fin coming into the UK but of course the, the biggest problem is that sharks are landed in the UK under this fins naturally attached legislation the fins are removed the fins then go to Vigo in northern Spain and from Vigo they're exported to China so we are completely complicit we're the fourth um, biggest in Europe they were, his, historically, going back probably about 10 years ago, Europe were the biggest exporter of shark and anywhere in the world. You could look at Europe's subtotal volume of shark exported and it was bigger than Indonesia, it was bigger than India. And those two countries are normally sort of, yeah, they're, they're the bad guys, they're the culprits. Um, and it's quite interestingly, at least on the official paper, it, China really doesn't catch that much shark. It's not to say they don't do it illegally, but when, when you look at what's recorded, they claim not to catch that much shark, um, and they're buying it from foreign countries. So, so the idea that the UK and the EU are one of the main perpetrators in catching the shark that 
then has its fins removed on land these days and then is sold to China. We're completely complicit in this and that's been a huge eye-opener for me because like I said, you really, to begin with, I went in with the same in the same headspace as everyone else that this is a problem that happens on the other side of the world. It's a Chinese problem and it's got nothing to do to do with us. Um, and that's simply not the case. No, it's, it's yeah, I'd say you tend to think we're relatively advanced in conservation and, you know, in this case, it's we're taking steps back, aren't we? We're not moving forward with it. And sharks are obviously apex predators. Uh, and it brings me on to really what I wanted to say about what, why are sharks so important? Because, you know, there's so many other fish species. Like what is the the focus on sharks for, for example, when you've got other large apex fish which maybe aren't uh, protected so much? I don't know. There does seem to be a thing about sharks. Like people really fight for them. Why not tuna? Why not swordfish? You know, why sharks? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really good question, Jack. I- I think I've gone down the shark rabbit hole just so happens to be where my journey's taken me. Um, I know that one of your podcasts previously, you spoke with Nina Constable, Nina's yeah. partner, Tim Horton. He's, uh, he's all, he's all about tuna. He's and... been on the podcast. He's talked about it. Oh, has he? So yeah. Tom's, Tom's done, done one. I've not heard Tom's. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, absolutely. Um, it just so happens that I've ended up being a, being a voice for for sharks but i completely agree it is as important any of these big animals that are these apex predators um need to be protected i suppose there's a little bit of clarification needed because not every shark is an apex predator you know there's plenty of sharks that are lower down the food chain and part of the problem for some of the smaller sharks, like the, um, the dogfish that have been served up in the, in the chippies, they're bioaccumulating heavy metals and ocean plastics and whatnot. But part of the reason they're doing that is because they sort of feed on the bottom of the ocean. And a lot of these toxins sink to the bottom of the ocean. So they're in quite a polluted environment. Whereas the, the big apex predators, they're, they're more pelagic. Um, but the way that they're getting their dose of, of heavy metals is because, you know, let's say that there's a small fish that eats a few shrimps and the shrimps have got a little bit of cadmium on, on mercury and then the fish gets their bigger dose and then eventually the shark at the top of the food chain bioaccumulates um, the, the biggest dose. Um, well, I know the but, famous one was uh, the orcas on the west coast of Scotland. They, they can't breed anymore because they've got so much, uh, I don't know if it's mercury, some kind of heavy metal pollutants in them. They've not bred for the last 20 years or so. And it's looking like, uh, you know, I think there's only three or four left. There aren't many that they're, they're probably going to go extinct because like you've said, the, the, the seals and the fish that they're eating have accumulated all these metals and then they've just got it built up in their system. There's one, uh, one that got washed up and they tested it and it was horrifically high, you know, the amount of pollutants and metals that it, that it had in its body. Yeah. And it's the um, same thing that you talk about. Absolutely. So um, I've gotten to know a guy called um, Louis Alves, who is based in Portugal. And what he's done is 
he's gone onto the boats and um, when they've landed blue shark in particular he's immediately tested them for um, these contaminants and he's been finding that even juvenile blue shark have these um, contaminants at levels that are above European recommendations unsuitable for human consumption so so it's deeply worrying but when you read his paper on it and it lists what the heavy metals do to the shark it talks about um, like it decreases their mobility it decreases their ability to breed um, it slows down their metabolism and and you, you're reading this and, and you're thinking blimey all the important things that an animal needs to do to survive um, the, these heavy metals compromise it and it's it's really worrying really worrying um, I think the bleakest moment out of my, my entire journey when I was making my film was when we did the heavy metal testing um, in Isawara in Morocco because we weren't using state-of-the-art um, kit to do the test and we'd randomly bought um, shark so it was a total random selection we just bought some shark steak and so it's a it's a random selection it's not a great test that we've done you know it's not going to stand up to scientific scrutiny but all that said we could see that there was a toxic and um, toxic amount of heavy metal in in that steak and this is a steak that we've just bought off the market um, and when you see that, when you understand that, when you begin to think that potentially you're talking about the entire Northeast Atlantic being so full of heavy metals that a random shark um, is, is polluted, that's when you start to get massively worried. And we spoke a few minutes ago about apex predators and the significance of apex predators. I worked on a film called The Serengeti Rules and it talks about these things called trophic cascades. And so the basic idea is that there, there'll be some sort of domino effect. If you get rid of one species, there's all these unexpected repercussions. And I was looking into this story of what had happened in Jamaica when they taken away the, the sharks from the Jamaican coral reefs. And what had happened was the, the next trophic level down, um, that eats the coral they lost the ecology of fear so they would stay in one place and browse the coral for prolonged periods of time because they didn't have anything to worry about so they destroyed the coral reef and they destroyed the coral reef to the point that algae could colonize the the coral reefs for the first time so suddenly the entire coral reef system collapses and it takes with it all the fish all the fishermen's livelihoods any help of ever getting the big apex predators back and and that is what happens when you start to mess with these top predators that suddenly everything collapses like a pack of cards like a house of cards um and i don't think we've quite got a handle yet on which are the ecosystem engineers which are the species that we just can't risk taking away but one thing we can be absolutely certain of in ocean systems is, is that sharks are a really big deal um, 
and there's also speculation about the um, ability of sharks to create a uh, robust gene pool because there's this general idea that they're picking off the weak and the diseased individuals if they're doing that that means that the rest of the rest of the fish stocks are pretty healthy and in, in fairly good nick um very few actual scientific papers are, have been published on that it's fairly anecdotal but from an ecological sense it it does make perfect sense um so again sharks are incredibly important creatures if people have been kind of infused about sharks and they want to do something to help then i definitely recommend them checking out your film but your film is not out yet is it or it might be by the time this comes out but when when are you hoping to have your film out yeah so um at the moment it has gone out um as part of the wild screen the wild screen film festival which is this week in bristol it's online for the very first time this year so i'm very excited to have put my film out there to be scrutinized by these thousands of people that work in the wildlife filmmaking industry so that's um quite daunting to have my work scrutinized in this way for the very first time but equally exciting to be telling this important conservation message so i've got a few more jobs to do um in terms of building a website working out how i'm going to have my film hosted i'm really keen to do a collaboration with an ngo um, and see if we can use the film as a bit of a fundraiser have some online maybe a zoom screening for enfranchised people charge them a small amount of money to watch the film give that film give that revenue to someone like the shark trust who have been incredibly helpful to me on my journey i'd like to pay them back a little bit and to start using the film as as a tool not only an awareness raising tool but possibly a fundraising tool as well for for conservation and ngos so not quite found a solution to to that one <laughs> yet um but that's that's what happens with these these passion projects it's like because there's not an army of people doing this it it's just me and i'm working two and a half days a week um in my day job which is very different butterfly conservation so it's always a battle to find the time to progress the film um but at some point in the very near future it will be accessible to the general public and that will be a very exciting day so from butterflies to sharks that's quite a uh, quite a leap we've got patrick barkham on next week actually he, his podcast is on about his butterfly uh trying to find them all wasn't he so we've got him on um well, well look it's been fascinating talking to you and and you've opened my eyes i i didn't i always had assumed the, the what you said about the iucn i assumed that they were protected so you couldn't eat them so that's kind of shocked me i didn't know that we had shark fin soup in the uk that shocked me and i didn't realize how prevalent shark meat was in the uk and, and exporting it so i hope people listening to this have kind of got a little bit out of it I'll put a link in the description to to your website, but if you have got, a, you know, if there is a link by the time this goes out to where the film, people can go and see it, but it is sharks, let me just get this right, sharks in deep water. So definitely keep your eyes peeled for that. So there's a couple of ways to, to find it currently. So if you're on Facebook, you can search for sharks, I-D-W, 
So at Sharks IDW, and that's the film's homepage for Facebook. If people want to follow me on Twitter, then I'll be giving updates. So that's at Matt Briley. So that's that's another way. Follow me on Twitter, and then you'll you'll find out what happens next with ways to watch the film. So a few a few different ways to tap into it. Definitely check those out. Well, look, Matt, it's been a pleasure, and yeah, I've actually I've I've learned something, which is always a pleasure as well. So, <laughs> take care. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it, Jack. Thanks ever so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. No worries. I've watched Matt's film and would recommend you to check it out. Sharks in deep water. There's a few things I took away from that chat. I naively thought, like Matt, that if something was on the IUCN register as critically endangered, then it was protected. That's not the case. We routinely eat very rare species. I didn't realise that shark fin soup was legal in the UK and that we are partly responsible for the boom in shark meat. It's sobering stuff. From a very local level, if you do go to a chippy, always make sure that the fish you're eating is clearly labelled place, haddock, cod, etc. If it just says fish and chips, then that fish could be anything. Because they're not lying, it's still a fish, but often we get sold catfish and all kinds of... Uh, weird and wonderful things. So on a very, very local level, that's one thing that you can do. There was a petition also set up. The UK should ban the importation of shark fins, and that got to uh, 115,000 odd signatures. So it did get mentioned in Parliament. But as far as I'm aware, nothing really has happened from that as, uh, as it goes. So anyway, moving on to next week, I'm chatting to Dr. Steve Simpson, who is a lecturer at the University of Exeter, and worked on Blue Planet 2. Now what Steve specialises in is fish vocalisation. That's right, talking fish. He does some cracking impersonations of fish as well, so it's worth tuning in for that alone. This has been the Bearded Tits Podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks, and I'll catch you next time. Cheers.